You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Round two continues here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns and the NBA at SB Nation as well as Dime Magazine, and you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Most importantly, though, follow our show on Twitter at Suns, where you can tell me your prediction for Game 2. That is right. It is the morning of Game 2. Welcome to Wednesday. Welcome to... The second game of what is sure to be an awesome second round series between the Suns and the Nuggets. And we will get right to our analysis of this game. It should be a great one. Um, Michael Pina of Sports Illustrated is my guest. I actually had somebody on Twitter reach out and say, which national podcasts do a great job of actually breaking down the Suns in a sophisticated way, a way that actually um, understands what this team is and what it has been in the past. And Michael's show, Open Floor, over at Sports Illustrated was my answer because Michael has been covering this team uh, forever, wrote a feature on Mikhail Bridges right before the draft in 2018, has written about TJ Warren, Devin Booker, all of the components of this build. And so Michael has been an awesome guest for me many, many times on this show and he was exactly who I wanted to give you guys to set the stage for the rest of this series after a game one that the Suns handily won. So let's get right to that, though. First, today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the show. Let's get right to Michael, folks. Breaking down game one, what to expect in game two, and a little bit on why... Jay Crowder should stay groundbound and not terrify us anymore. Michael Pina of Sports Illustrated is my guest. Um, coming off of a game one win for the Suns, 122-105. Talked a little bit about my thoughts on the game yesterday, just in the instant aftermath of it, but like to give you guys a little bit of a preview of what's to come, a breather between games, and, and Michael breaks this stuff down as well as anybody. So I think it'll be a good show. Um just, Michael, let's start here because we were both saying to one another that it's hard to imagine Denver having as poor of a showing as they did in game one, again, in this probably the whole series. But what do you think led to them falling apart in that second half and the Suns pulling away, ultimately winning by double digits? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good place to start. I think I, you know, I want to give credit first to just the ridiculous delirious shot making that the Suns had and I mean they looked absolutely terrific Chris Paul looked vintage um he hit some shots honestly in that second half that I thought were just not possible for him anymore just in terms of the 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 space that he created one-on-one and you know he was very aggressive hunting Michael Porter Jr which is uh, something that every single person in the NBA playoffs who faces the Denver Nuggets really wants to do um apparently for obvious reasons um Devin Booker was just magical i thought particularly with the you know those like wide pin downs where he he'd either isolate on the wing or um run a quick 
dribble handoff with with Aiton to kind of engage uh, Nikola Jokic, and then he was making really good reads out of that. And I thought that honestly, the Nuggets did a decent job defending those actions um, um, as best they could with Jokic, who was kind of scrambling, trying to be up to touch and take away Booker as best he could. But you can only do that for so long. And I think that when you do the same thing over and over again, also against someone who is such a talented scorer and really having a breakout postseason, he'll just he'll just pick you apart. So we saw a ton of open threes for Crowder, a ton of open threes for Mikael Bridges, and they were falling for Phoenix, and the shots were not falling for Denver. And real quick, I know or I anticipate we're going to talk about this quite a bit, but the one-on-one matchup at the five with Jokic and Aiton, which was much ballyhooed about coming into the series. Um, Aiton to me is honestly the potentially the biggest revelation of the entire postseason. He's just been out of his mind. Um, and shout out to him because I, on both ends, he's just been way better than I anticipated. He was the big question mark yeah. for me and why I think a lot of people doubted Phoenix's ability to make a deep playoff run. And if he's in these two matchups specifically, right? Like if you were going to pick out two teams that they could have played in the beginning of the season and been like, okay, they'll be screwed if they play this team and this team, it might've been the Lakers and the Nuggets and through seven, he's been excellent. Yeah. It's, it's very, very unexpected. He's been ridiculous. His hands, his touch. uh, If you just look at some of the numbers when he's in drop coverage, Phoenix's defense is excellent. So I, yeah, I, I, I'm honestly kind of flabbergasted by it. And again, if he's going to do this and play this well, Phoenix is really dangerous. They are. I mean, and it's a little bit simple to, to kind of always only look at the guys because especially we know that it's going to take more than just one person to stop what Nikola Jokic does. And it was that, that was the case in game one. But if, if the stats and like the impact are, about equal, which is what they were in game one. It's very hard to imagine Denver getting a leg up in enough games to uh, win four out of seven. It's just like you, you kind of look back at the box score and it's like, okay, 20 and 10, 22 and nine, you know, Jokic not get into the free throw line. And it's, it's, it's hard to map out a, a path to victory for the nuggets. If, if that's not happening, you talked a little bit about what the Suns were able to do offensively um, to get that lead in the second half. And, and do what they did, um, putting, you know, 18 up, uh, an advantage of 18 points in that second half and, and win by 17. Um, but yeah, with that center matchup, Jokic, I think was three of 12 from the field in the second half. It looked like there were times where he just looked tired, frankly, which is unexpected to me, both teams coming off three days of rest. And they were trying to push the pace a lot in that first half. It, they were getting some success doing that. I don't know if that was something to attribute his, his uh, you know, I don't think he was completely toast but he, he definitely didn't have the energy that we're used to seeing from him the control of the game we're used to seeing so what do you think was the key to what the Suns were able to do against Jokic and what the hell is going on with him only getting zero free throws because it felt like he actually was getting like whistles on the defensive end when he was committing fouls he was not getting called for them and the refs were letting him play and then he just didn't even shoot a free throw and it, it's again they're not going to win if, if that's not happening well, I don't know how many Nuggets fans listen to this podcast, but they're probably just driving their vehicles into ditches right now, listening to us talk about Jokic and the lack of free throw calls. I know that's been an issue the entire season 
um, for him, for uh, the Nuggets, for the coaching staff. Well, he complains enough for the whole fan base, I think. So <laughs> it's uh, it's the whole city of Denver's voice is is coming out of him. I think game game after game. So I, I think I think the the publicity of it is is there for sure. But yeah, you're right. Sure. Yeah. And but he doesn't do it. The thing about Jokic is he doesn't really do it publicly so much um at least that's not what i've observed um which you kind of need to do this time of year so it'll be interesting to see how they respond um to that but with regards to you know his conditioning and how he looked in in that regard i think that you need to um you need to make him work defensively and i i kind of touched on that at the top with all those dribble handoffs and the pick and rolls and um, um, how do you go at Jokic? Because if you watch the first round series against Portland, the Denver played, um, their offensive strategy, uh, basically on every possession was either screen set a ball screen for Dame Lillard or CJ McCollum with Michael Porter Jr.'s man and force a switch and then just go to town or, uh, attack Jokic in the pick and roll. And Jokic is either dropping and you're going to get a wide open pull up three or Jokic is up um, to touch a little bit higher on the floor. And that just leaves Denver totally susceptible to a blow by. Uh, so really working him that way, making him physically exert himself as much as possible. I thought that that was definitely a part of the game plan and they executed it wonderfully. And um, you even had possessions where, you know, Mikhail Bridges uh, was so impressive to me and that he not only just hit the open shots or most of the open shots that he got, particularly in the second half, but he was like going off the bounce, recognizing mismatches, uh, you know, two dribble pull-ups. I think it was against Composo, I want to say, where he went, took him to uh, the right block, this like really difficult turnaround. And I mean, I don't want to say that he is a, Mikel Bridges is a bellwether or a, a barometer, I should say, for Phoenix's success. Um, they can win when he's not, totally excellent i think but when he is making plays like that they are just about as tough as any team in the entire nba that was my thing coming out of the game is i kept saying going into the series if if the suns can get anything on top of what the offense was that they were able to get against the lakers which was basically booker ayton and three-point shooting was and and campaign um that they would be in pretty good shape and then you have game one where both paul and bridges play above what their uh, what the expectations were, what their level of play offensively was in the Lakers series. And I think that has a lot to do with why it felt at times like Denver just couldn't guard the Suns. It was just coming at them from too many angles. They were able to get the, the Nuggets into a rotation. And then basically all five guys on the floor were able to take advantage of that, you know, whether it was a a bad closeout, a lack of a closeout, or just a straight up mismatch that the, that, that the Nuggets didn't have um, the size or, or speed to to handle the guy that they were that they were defending. I mean, Crowder had a dunk in this game, like a an off the bounce, um, uh, yeah, very a dribble drive a, dunk. That was an adventure. I was I, I was scared for his it. safety. Yeah, I was scared for his safety when he left the ground, honestly, and it looked like he was <laughs> about to hang himself, but he made it. So good for him. He did it. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, it's. I agree with your point on on doing the same thing over and over was a good one, and I think it's the most obvious place to start talking about adjustments of what defensively we could see Denver do. We even saw them adjusting a bit over the course of this game, where they were sending the doubles and help toward Booker from, whether that was the weak or the strong side, we saw, um, you know, rivers get the matchup to start. We saw Gordon 
get it uh, most basically the entire second half. That matchup was really interesting because Booker was also guarding Gordon. So let's start there on the other side of this quick break um, and get into what we could see coming into game two. This week's Michelob Ultra Player of the Week is Chris Paul, a player who I've given this out to before, but come on, the guy enters the second round with huge question marks over his health with that right shoulder contusion and continues to just play in such a joyful and happy way and I love covering Chris Paul, too, because you talk to him in a press conference and this guy, he's going to give you short answers. He doesn't want to belabor the point, but his style of speaking is very similar to his style of play, and you can just tell that he's no nonsense. He's going he's gonna to be positive. He's going to tell you what he enjoys about playing with this team, about playing with these teammates, and just about competing in general. Um, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Michelob Ultra is reminding you of that every single time you take a sip. But Chris Paul also reminding you that with his of that with his play. I just I really love the mentality that he comes to the gym with, and getting to watch and cover him day in and day out is a perfect example of what Michelob Ultra wants to remind you of, which is that enjoyment isn't the end game; it is the whole game. Joy creates success both in the NBA and in life. And Chris Paul exemplifying that better than just about anybody these days. Again, Chris Paul, the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. Today's show also brought to you by Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made just for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, fans, athletes, insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. We host Suns Rooms on Locker Room. At about 12 or 12.30 every single Friday, which means you can finally join in on the conversation you listen to here on the podcast every single day. That is me, Brandon, AZ Sports Zone on Twitter. He is our Monday co-host. He is our Friday locker room co-host. Awesome conversations every week, answering your questions, debating, breaking stuff down. Yes, you have a chance to chat with us live Maybe you like to come on stage and, and actually talk with us. Maybe you just drop a question in the chat box. Whatever it is, we are there for you. Join us on Friday at noon, this week and every week. All you have to do is download the free Locker Room app now on either Android or iOS. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter account, join the NBA group to get the latest updates, and follow me at BrendanClean14 to be notified when my room goes live. You won't want to miss it. Get your son's questions answered. We'll be going between games two and three. Um, and you will want to you'll want to tune in because look, we bring you some stuff on there that we do not get to on the show. We answer your questions, which is more customized and individualized than it is on the podcast. All good stuff. We love the format. We love to talk sons with you guys. So check us out. See you there. Locker room changing the way we talk sports. All right, back here with Michael Pina of Sports Illustrated. Let's get into some of these adjustments, Michael. Um, I think let's start with the pick and roll because I asked Devin Booker what he was seeing off the ball and, and why his movement, how his movement was able to um, create space for his teammates because this is a game he was only 21, uh, only had 21 points, 8 of 12 from the field, had tied for the fewest field goal attempts in the starting unit. Just an uncharacteristic game for him, but obviously the eight assists and we saw the way he was impacting the game. And 
he actually gave it up to Aiton and, you know, obviously that's, that's all kind of teammate stuff, but it's, it was true, right? Like they were forcing Denver into a very difficult decision of collapsing their corner defender onto Aiton to stop the lob. If he got past Jokic or guarding that corner and, and the, the floor was so well spaced and the Suns, like we talked about in that last segment, were getting offense from everywhere and all five guys were playing aggressively that, it really didn't seem like there was a good choice for the Nuggets. So what do you think they can do just to, in those pick and roll situations and those um, high screen and roll situations to stop the Suns from just going off again in game two? Yeah, I mean, I think that you bring up a really b- good point with those single side tags that Booker had a lot of success with. I mean, there's one where um, Aiton rolled real hard to the paint. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. was just looked off completely. He was trying to guard Mikael Bridges, who shifted up from the weak side, from the from the weak side corner to the to the wing. And uh, uh, you know, you want to take away the rim first, I think, even though you don't want to leave Mikael Bridges open. So it is a pick your poison, absolutely. I think, you know, Denver is not a team that's, you know, they'll switch a little bit. And I think that that's like the most obvious way to uh, solve some of these issues, but it's just really, it's really tough if you want to play Jokic um, a lot of big minutes. I mean, you can switch a little bit more when, you know, Millsap and Jermichael Green are in there and Aaron Gordon. I thought Aaron Gordon played a pretty good game minus that atrocious closeout on Jay Crowder that we talked about um, a couple minutes ago, but I mean, this is why Phoenix is Phoenix. Um, you know, they run the stack pick and roll. That's really tough to deal with. And they had some success there and Denver switched a lot of that and put themselves into a bunch of different mismatches. Um, I mean, to me, honestly, what's even more, I don't mean to hijack the conversation, but what's really, what's really interesting to me was the Booker uh, Gordon matchup. Yeah. Just because Gordon was just like licking his lips um, and calling for the ball and really loved the opportunity to attack Booker in isolation in the post. He was totally dominant and Phoenix, uh, I'm sure they sent help and maybe I'm just misremembering, but it was a lot of single coverage, a lot of staying home, um, a lot of uh, just kind of letting Gordon get his and Aaron Gordon played about 30 minutes and he was a plus one or a plus two, I want to say. Um, and I thought that that was really, really interesting um, and something that Denver will probably go to a little bit more. Maybe they will uh, try to, you know, isolate Michael Porter Jr. on Booker a little as well um, in different ways. And I just found that to be, uh, you know, no, normally you don't want to, um, you know, get out of your your flow offense and, um, be stagnant, but Gordon was so quick with the attack and, and Booker was, uh, just kind of incapable of, of hanging with him and he wasn't strong enough. And so, you know, there is a situation going forward in this series. I can see if they stick to that strategy, Devin Booker, potentially finding himself in foul trouble, which would be just an absolute disaster, uh, for the Phoenix mm. Suns. So that's, that's one that I'm, I'm keeping an eye on as the series goes along and seeing if Monty Williams tries to switch up the coverage, a little, uh, coverages a little bit. Yeah, I've seen a lot of Nuggets folks pretty excited about what Gordon was able to do as well. I think you're right. I hadn't, 
even necessarily thought about the foul trouble ramifications of something like that because they went to it kind of late so it didn't end up bearing itself out that way but um you we've seen that over the course of the season in some of these matchups and you know we saw Bridges spend a lot of time on MPJ but we also we saw so much switching and then it was just dependent on who the Nuggets had out there but the the Suns I think at the end of the day they do prefer Bridges to be on the point of attack. We saw it against the Lakers that I think they they felt like things settled into place defensively when Bridges was able to actually defend Schroeder um, and, and Crowder got the LeBron matchup. And so that's what they like. And what ends up being sometimes the, 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 the domino effect there is that Booker can get into a weird matchup, right? Like he ends mm-hmm. up having to defend these wings or forwards that most of the time aren't as good of a playmaker or as strong and, and offensively talented as Gordon he's not you know at the upper echelon of that stuff but he can obviously make you pay like he did so I think we definitely could see that I I do just think though it's like if that was happening because of things that the Suns were giving up then they can sort of just rearrange things back into place fairly easily and avoid that matchup Mm -hmm. happening Um, but you're right like you start to say you know can Gordon can Gordon and Jokic start playing a little bit more of a two-man game which I don't watch the Nuggets a ton that's not something I remember them going to very often but it seems like it could really dice up the suns a little bit with the size disadvantage that the suns have and and then that brings me to porter because i just think he wasn't aggressive in this game um i don't think the suns are afraid of him like that was just something watching back some clips and reading through the coverage this morning that jumped out to me is like on both ends they were cutting past him they were going at him in in in, you know man-on-man coverage defensively like you said with bridges and different guys paul as well and offensively it just didn't feel like they were it was not a you know ring the alarm situation if he had an advantage offensively like they kind of just felt like it seemed like to me the game plan was like ah whatever whatever porter does it's fine like uh, maybe he just needs to enforce his will on the game a little bit more in game two porter might be just like the most fascinating player to me in the entire playoffs because he truly can go off for like 45. If you, if he scored 45 in game two, I'm just like not even blinking. That's how ridiculous of a shot maker he is. But at the same time, he's going to, he's going to give up. And I, and I think that, you know, when we talk about really uh, porous defensive players, you know, it's like, um, oh, he scored 30, but he gave up 30 on the other end. And that is almost always hyperbolic. Uh, it is not with Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> he literally gives up a bucket on every possession because that is the strategy that at least I'm, I'm speaking more about the fir- entire first round series, which was just like, if you look at some of the pick and roll numbers, it's like whoever set a screen for Dame was typically defended by Michael Porter Jr. And they averaged like 1.5, 1.6 points per possession off that stuff. So it is, uh, it's lethal. And so... Uh, Michael Porter Jr. just is so interesting to me. And you you said something um, that uh, uh, I think is uh, worth going back to, which is just like, yeah, is is it a good thing when he gets his early, when he scores? Like, are you concerned um, that Michael Porter Jr. is hitting tough shots, especially early in the game? Um, or is that something that you're just living with and you're okay? And... I don't know the answer to that necessarily, because like I said, he is, he's so talented that 
like he hits these ridiculous contested shots um, regularly, and it's not a fluke thing. Like I'm not trying to compare him to Luka Doncic or anything, but I was like, I don't really bat an eye when Michael Porter Jr. hits a shot that has like a, a you know, a, like a shot quality of like 35, and he's <laughs> hitting when it's like a 65 percent clip. Like that's not out of the norm. So yeah, like when you talk about his aggression. There are two plays that stick out of my head um, that kind of jut that a little bit. And one of them was, uh, you know, I mentioned Aaron Gordon before and how much he really was salivating over the opportunity to go at Devin Booker. And there was this one play where um, the Suns missed a bucket. I think Porter Jr. got the rebound and he started to dribble up the floor and uh, you could see Aaron Gordon clapping for the ball because he was up on the right wing and it was just him and Devin Booker and Porter stares at him, does not pass the ball and takes a pull up three that does not go in. Um, and then a couple of possessions later, uh, Marcus Howard hit a corner three and um, uh, the next time down the floor, Porter Jr. Again is bringing the ball up the floor and you can see Monte Morris coming up on the right wing and he's he's pointing at Marcus Howard, who is again in the same spot. He in the corner, very wide open, where he just hit a three. And he's like, "Give me the ball. I'm going to swing it over to to Howard." And Michael Porter Jr. pulls up, misses a three. So his ability to kind of read score and time and understand, like, let's just say he's not a point guard, which I know he's not a point guard, but like his understanding and his basketball IQ is just a long way to go. So when we get to the conversation about, is it good if he's going off and scoring and getting all these points, it's like, it might be at the detriment of his teammates and just like the flow and the rhythm of a basketball game. Yeah, I think he's come a long way in that regard. Like you watch, I think back to the bubble when he was forced into action a little bit more, not forced. I mean, it was, it was helpful. Right. But like it felt very often when he would get chances last season, like it was a complete roller coaster, uh, you know, put your seatbelt on because we don't know what's going to happen during these 20 minutes. And I think he's, he's progressed, but just getting a, a playoff opportunity to watch him last night and, and obviously doing it in person and everything, it was just like, huh, this, you know, if Monty Williams and, and this coaching staff don't really seem worried about him, it was, it was making me reevaluate how I thought about the, that progress. And I just, I didn't get the impression that they were terrified of what he would be able to do to them. And so I don't know, it's hard to say what, what, what him improving and playing better or scoring more at least would do to this series if that's the case. So I, I'm, I'm just curious. It's obviously going to be something a lot of folks are watching because he's probably the second or third best player on this Nuggets team now. So, um, of course, something to keep an eye on for everybody. Um, but it is a good it is a good opportunity to transition a little bit because um, I want to talk about lineups and I want to talk about um, basically like what could it look like for the Nuggets to win a game in game two, or just at any point, what's the, what's the blueprint there? So let's take a quick break and we'll talk about that on the other side. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or someone just like me trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And best of all, it's just as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, an injury, or just the stresses of everyday life, 
There is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something right out of the future. Just go to their site and check it out, guys. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines based on what you do. Theragun is trusted by 250 pro sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins of the Arizona Cardinals, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of thousands of customers. So get in with this. Check it out. Let it learn you. Let it help you. Try Theragun for 30 days starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on right now to get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on theragun.com slash locked on. Last but not least, today's show is brought to you by betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing. It feels like we have these, these gimmicky com- competitions, whether it's it's Paul Mayweather or coming up is Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady versus Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers, which should be pretty awesome. Another episode of The Match. I guarantee you Bet Online will have odds for that. They are on top of all of it. News, sign-up bonuses, contest info, constantly up to date. So do not sit on the sidelines anymore, folks. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their title runs. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use their mobile app. Make an account, and when you make your first deposit, use the promo code LOCKEDON. That is all one word, LOCKEDON, to get a 50% welcome bonus straight to your account. Again, head to betonline.ag or their mobile app. Make an account. Use the promo code LOCKEDON when you put that first deposit in to get a 50% welcome bonus straight to your account. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, closing out the show, getting you ready for game two of Suns Nuggets here on your Wednesday morning. Um, I wanted to just ask you that question that I referenced before the break, Michael, of like paint me the picture of what it looks like for the Nuggets to win game two. We've talked about the Aaron Gordon thing, obviously, Um, We talked about the Nikola Jokic thing, Um, but you also had like Monte Morris playing like complete garbage, which we have not talked about. I thought he might start. You seemed to be a little bit less inclined to believe that we would see a lineup change like that. Um, I just think we're seeing, you talked about DeAndre Ayton's growth. Like it just seems like we're seeing the evolution of the Suns team where they are so, um, it's, they just don't make a lot of mistakes and they punish teams that do make mistakes. And I think that's just such a difficult type of team to beat. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that, look, I'm not even close to counting out the Denver Nuggets. Uh, this is kind of their, you know, they obviously they don't have Jamal Murray, which hurts, but this is kind of their identity as an NBA organization. They have just a ton of guys who are underdogs, who were overlooked uh, they've come back. They, they were beaten pretty handily in game one of the first round against Portland in a way that made you just look at Austin Rivers and Faku Campazo and think Dame and CJ are just going to feast like the series is over. And obviously it wasn't over. <laughs> so, um, you know, Monte Morris had maybe the worst game of his career um, after the two best games or two of the best games of his entire career uh, in games five and six of the first round. I expect him to play a little bit better um, in bigger minutes. I don't, I, you're right. I don't necessarily think they're going to give up on Compazzo who, who I thought played pretty well 
Um, and they just really, I know for a fact that Denver, the coaching staff just really likes how that starting five has kind of gelled together with Rivers and Compazzo, um, Aaron Gordon, Porter Jr. and Jokic, and the punch that Monte Morris gives them off the bench. Um, they really appreciate that. And they need a point guard who is familiar with Millsap and Jamichael Green and uh, just other members of their bench unit to kind of organize how they want to play offense when Jokic is not on the court. So that's just a reason why I'm not I'm not thinking that's going to happen quite yet, although it could change as the series progresses if they get blown out again in game two, for sure. Um, you know, from there, I think that, look, like if Jokic isn't dominant, then they're not going to win. I think like it's not like brain surgery or anything like it's like Nikola Jokic was fairly pedestrian in this game. Um, he was neutralized almost entirely by DeAndre Ayton, who was incredible, as we've said. And so like Jokic needs to dominate that matchup. I think he is like no disrespect to Ayton, but Jokic is the MVP of the NBA. And, um, you know, I, I think he will have a mindset coming into game two that was very similar to his mindset against uh, Nurkic in round one, which is if you're going to single cover me, I'm just going to do everything I can to get you to foul me. I'm going to use every trick I have in the bag. And so I thought Aiton did a really good job not biting at pump fakes. Uh, he stayed grounded, um, defending Jokic in the post. Um but, you know, I think that uh, if Jokic is committed to doing something like that, I think he can get it done. And if Aiton gets, you know, two quick fouls with, you know, six minutes left in the first or something. Yeah. Uh, that is, uh, you know, almost game over because <laughs> like, I don't know who's guarding Jokic uh, besides DeAndre Aiton on this team. You don't have Jalen Smith optimism? Uh, <laughs> I don't. I'm sorry. I don't either. Um I agree. It's been, I think, the number one fear of Suns fans all season, all, all playoffs long, is foul trouble. Somehow he avoided it for six consecutive games against the Lakers and and, and another one now against Denver. I agree. If it happens, it's, it is it is a pretty big emergency. Um, real quick on Morris, he was minus 28. I don't think I said that in my recap show. Uh, the, the, the Nuggets, I mean, a lot of that was the third quarter run. Just really fell apart in the second half during the bench minutes. And that's why it looks so ugly for Morris as it pertains to Jokic um, and Aiton though I just um, that's what I meant when I said if Jokic can't get to the line that this thing is going to be hard for Denver to win it's not so much that I think he needs the free throws to score I just think he needs to one um, make Aiton we were talking about making Jokic work defensively I think you know you got to make the things that Aiton's not good at come to the forefront of the game and, and he's gotten so much stronger. I, I credited his IQ improvements. I think he's also just worked on his body a lot and doesn't get moved around. I mean, this is a player who used to get just owned by players like, you know, Valanchunas and, and these guys, because he is Steven Adams. He just didn't have uh, the body, the strength to, to keep up. So to even do what he did in game one against Jokic is a big accomplishment. It's still something that Jokic should push. I loved the mind games that Jokic, I can't tell if it's genuine with him. I've, I always assume it is because he's seems to be like the best dude, but um, just constant compliments for DeAndre Ayton throughout this week from Nikola Jokic. And it's like, you're going to eat this guy alive at, at least one point in this series. And you can't say anything but nice things. Um, I don't, I don't know. 
how you feel about that. But I just think, um, like we saw, uh, to go back to the pace, because I really do think the Suns have proven over the course of this postseason that the if they can control the pace of a game that includes LeBron James, I think that they're going to probably have some success doing it against Jokic. So I get why the Nuggets were were pushing the pace and trying to play in transition. I think they actually were really good at it in the first half. I think the, the Suns were playing awful transition defense, especially when Dario Saric was in the game in that first half. But, you know, at the end of the day, too, like the, the Nuggets have a real advantage in the half court of being able to create probably more consistent offense through Jokic than the Suns can. So I would expect we maybe see some slowing of the game to make that that Jokic advantage happen a little bit more as well. I think that could be a little bit of a difference from just the pretty fast pace we saw to open game one. I could have one player mic'd up for a basketball game. It might be Nikola Jokic because you just see him sometimes like, I don't know if he's talking trash to Aiton. Like after he'll hit like the Sambor shuffle, jump or step back or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Just a, he'll hit like a ridiculous shot. And then you see him just smiling and talking to Aiton on the other side. And it's just like, I, I really want to know what he's saying to him right now. <laughs> um, but no, you're right. Like Denver is comfortable playing slow. Um uh, they had the fourth uh, slowest pace during the regular season. That's, uh, you know, obviously some of that is with Murray again. But when Jokic is on the court, you're right. Like, it's it's still incredibly difficult to guard. Uh, they have such good ball movement, such good uh, body movement, and they have shooters. So, like, you know, we saw early on in game one um, – them to try to set, you know, they set a, a pin down with Faku on Aiton to kind of free Jokic up and he curled. It's like one of their pet plays where he curls off the pin down um, and comes across, cuts across the, the the elbow area and then just kind of gets moving downhill. Jokic I'm talking about. And Aiton yeah. had a really difficult time defending um, those plays. So we might see a little bit more of that I could anticipate and just guards in general screening for Jokic is it's almost at the level of, um, you know, hunting with LeBron, not like peak LeBron, but the way um, Jokic is just able to handle the ball so well against smaller players and kind of do what he wants. And he can obviously shoot over the top as well. So there's just like a lot of different things that you can do with Nikola Jokic. It's why he's arguably the best basketball player living right now. And I expect them to, you know, to access a lot of those different strategies as the series goes on. And honestly, like, even if I just have so much respect for the nuggets that I, even if um, Denver falls down to two, I'm just like, I'm not kind of counting out this basketball team. It's totally fair. I mean, it's a very different series in that regard because of the player having such a control of every moment of the game. It, I mean, it's what LeBron could have been if he had been full strength in that first round. He wasn't. And so the series went the way that it did, but it's a very different challenge to, I just, I I wrote in my notes yesterday, you know, just playing against Jokic is so demoralizing, you know, you do everything right. And he's going to hit a fall away eight footer with his left hand that you don't even realize he's putting up. And so I, I agree with you. This is far from over. I, I, I held back from recording yesterday's recap show just with a broom in my hand, shaking it to get the, the background noise of, uh, of like the, the, what is it? Hey, what, what is a straw that makes up a broom? Um, sure. In the background. Sure. Yeah. 
and I live in 1812 in case you didn't know. Um, but yeah, that, that, that'll wrap us up today. If we're talking about what makes brooms, um, you can read Michael at sports illustrated. You can follow him at Michael V Pina on Twitter. You said you had some nugget stuff coming this week. So Suns fans will want to tune in Michael, anything else you want to plug? Uh, no, just, uh, uh, Brendan, thank you so much for having me. Everyone read all your stuff and, um, I'm a huge fan and this was, this was an honor. All right, guys, enjoy your Wednesday. Enjoy game two. I will be back with you right after the buzzer.